Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast that explores intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Jera. Thanks for tuning in. Today for you, I have a recording of a panel that I led at Montreal Comic-Con this July 2022 called Evolving Women's Roles in Star Trek. So with my co-panelists, Andrea Dykstra and Don Zanklin, we attempted to cover 50 plus years of women in Star Trek in about 45 minutes. It certainly was not exhaustive. Um, as uh, you know, you'll hear, we didn't get a ton of time to talk about Deep Space Nine. And we also didn't really get a ton of time to talk about Discovery. We had done a a version of this panel in Ottawa in 2019, where we really focused on Discovery as the newest show that was out at the time. And obviously, because of the incredibly important uh, representation through characters like Michael Burnham. So this time we focused a little bit more on Strange New Worlds because it was the newest show and really fresh in people's minds. Um, And also just because uh, some of our panelists uh, had some particular characters they wanted to highlight from that show. So um, I'm sure going forward that, you know, depending on who's on this panel, if we do a similar topic again, the characters we pick are going to shift somewhat. Um, But uh, please be assured that uh, if we didn't get time to mention every character, it's not because we didn't think they were important. Uh, We really wanted to start with some characters, including some, you know, maybe characters that only showed up in a couple of episodes that still meant a lot to us individually. So I hope you enjoy this panel. And uh, please feel free to share your own love for the characters we didn't get to in the comments. Hello, and welcome to our session at Montreal Comic Con. It's so great to see you all here today. Um, And uh, so thanks for joining us for Evolving Women's Roles in Star Trek. My name is Jara Hodge, and I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast Women at Warp. Um, And I also am involved in a group in Ottawa called Ladies Who Trek. Um, And we meet and do Star Trek things as women and uh, trans and non-binary people in Star Trek. Um, And it's great. So if you're in Ottawa area, check it out or ask us about creating a group in a town near you. Montreal should probably have one. Um, So we're going to start off today talking about uh, some of our favorite women characters. Um, But first, I'll get my co-panelists to introduce themselves, starting with Andrea. Hi, folks. My name is Andrea Dykstra. Uh, I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan, and like Jera is involved with tr- the Trek universe in kind of an official way, but I want to tell everybody here that how I got involved with this was talking randomly about Star Trek Discovery on Twitter. And then the CBC in Ottawa asked if I would be on a panel talking about Discovery, and that's how I met, that's how I met Jera. So it's like, you don't need to have experience to get involved in these sorts of things, and that's what's so wonderful about it. But uh, Star Trek is kind of like a lifelong love affair for me, and Next Generation was my desert island show. It's the show that I shared with my mom, so it's really special to me. My name is uh, Dawn Zanglin. I'm a comedian from Ottawa, and uh, I've been a lifelong blurred. Uh, That's a black nerd for those of you. We know. (laughs) I know you know. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, you got the newsletter. Uh, I, uh, I've been um, a fan of Star Trek uh, for a while, a very casual fan at first. 
Um, but I think I made the call in high school when I put up pictures of Star Trek in my locker. And uh, that was an experience. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just decided that um, as I was growing up, Star Trek really resonated with me. Uh, and uh, through this conversation, you'll find out a, a few of the reasons why. Awesome. And um, like Andrea said, you don't necessarily need to have any official cred to engage in this conversation. And we're going to ask you to ask questions. Um, there's no audience microphone, so you're going to have to like gesture wildly or stand up or something and we'll call on you. Um, and uh, also, you don't have to have seen all the Star Treks. We are firmly of the philosophy that you might like some of the shows and you might like others. There's no like requisite number of episodes to call yourself a Star Trek fan. Um, some of it's just not for everyone and that's fine, but we're going to talk about how things have changed over 50 plus years um, and uh, get into some of our favorite characters. So to start us off, um, I'm going to ask my co-panelists uh, to talk about uh, what Star Trek woman has meant the most to you and why, starting with Dawn. Well, um, the, uh, the, my favorite character, the standout character for me from the beginning has been Uhura. Why? Oh, thank you. Please do clap. Worthy of applause. Uhura, if, if you picture it, I'm, I'm Generation S, so I was growing up at a time watching TV, and I, it was an event when black people were on television. So as a kid, you know, I was watching cartoons on Saturday, and if I saw a black character, I'd say, Mom, there's a black person on TV. And imagine my little nerdy heart when I'm watching uh, an old-fashioned show, the original series, and I'm seeing a black woman, not just in the background, but on the main deck. It blew my mind. And, I, and as I read about celebrities like, like astronauts and um, actors uh, who have also been impacted in different ways about Uhura, you can tell that this is universal. And in history, hearing about um, Martin Luther King trying to urge Michelle Nichols to stay on in a role that um, she could have surpassed easily. She was uh, uh, thoroughly talented, but staying on as an, a symbol of inspiration for you know people coming afterward, people like me, hopefully, uh, it made it didn't make a difference. A ripple effect. And one of the things I love about Uhura is not because of the impact that she made in the original series. It's what they're doing with a character going forward. So you can see lots of different productions from movies to television, where you have the idea of Uhura as a layered character. So you have a character with depth, with a backstory, with motivation, with complexity, with light, with dark, you know, um, who's wrestling with internal conflict and external conflict. She's a full person. And for someone like me, who grew up not even seeing characters on TV, let alone getting to a point where you see a complex character who you can understand, you can cheer for, or not, it's, it's mind-blowing. I'm getting goosebumps just describing it because I know what it means for, you know, my kid and, you know, my kid's kid. Um, so we need to see more of that and we can see as it, the, that kind of depth in other characters as they continue to develop material for this, this, these, uh, these, enter, these enterprises that we're watching. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that um, there's a common theme that uh, we'll see come up in these examples, um, which is this theme of seeing yourself somehow in these characters that are represented on screen. 
So for me, uh, growing up, I started watching Next Generation with my brothers and sisters, um, but the they were quite a bit older than me. And the first Star Trek that I really felt represented in was Voyager. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Captain Janeway. Um, and... Uh, seeing the that there was this milestone um being crossed of like the first woman captain to lead a series um and she's a scientist she's an explorer but she also treats her crew in a way that's different than what we've seen from other captains in the past especially picard i will say like i'm a big picard fan i cosplay gender bent picard but um it like he's not the most emotionally supportive uh, and uh i think that voyager and deep space and walked so that the shows we have now could fly because they got more into like feelings into mental health into the need to actually support each other and to be honest about how we're feeling instead of like tough it up keep a stiff upper lip no kids on the bridge um so i I love that so much about janeway and uh about how you got to see her struggle with depression and with blaming herself being like a constant perfectionist and all of those things really really spoke to me Andrea. So it's terrible following you two, you know. <laughs> so there there are quite a few women characters in the Trek universe that I really identify with, but since Trek was something that um, that I that was a formative experience for me. And it's something that I shared with my mother. And it's something that um, myself, like I'm very white presenting, but I'm First Nation and Dutch. So I'm Mi'kmaq First Nation and Dutch. So I look like the white version of my mother. (laughs) And the character that really I started seeing myself in was Taylor, because she was a person that walked in two worlds. So in in Mi'kmaq culture and in a lot of indigenous culture, we refer to that as two-eyed seeing. So she's taking the lessons from her Klingon side and her human side to kind of strike a new path diplomatically, but she also has this rage, and she has this anger, and she likes to beat the crap out of holodeck monsters. So, like, not only was she, like, this super competent badass, um, she was, like, respected by the Klingon Empire to oversee, like, the succession of, like, um, the change in government. But she also had like this softer side. But even the thing that really struck me about her, and this was important for somebody to see, because I'm kind of like Gen X, millennial, like I'm 40 years old. So seeing a woman say to a man, I don't want to marry you right now. I'm going to have this baby, or I'm going to do this the way I want, but I'm not going to marry you right now. Um, I liked that, because it, it was a woman who completely had agency, at a time when women really didn't. But I didn't know that's what it was at the time. Like I was just a kid. I didn't know what like that kind of agency in life really looks like. But um, so that, she was kind of like my entry character into the Trek universe and into this amazing world of women in Trek. Awesome. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about other women in the next generation uh, to kick us off on some of the more thematic discussions, um, because uh, certainly one of the narratives that you see a lot in talking about the evolution of women's roles in Star Trek is an idea that I think is worth exploring a bit more about how um, after Yar was killed off in the original series, R.I.P. 
Tashi are, um, <laughs> or sorry, in Next Generation, um, that we were left with women in quote unquote nurturing roles. So you have Troy, the counselor, Dr. Crusher, the doctor. Um, and I was wondering if you have any thoughts on that narrative or how women in TNG were portrayed in general. Yeah, like this is, uh, it's funny because it, um, you guys are hearing these questions for the first time, but I actually know what these questions are and I still don't quite know how to answer them. Um, just because they're, like, people always will focus on Troy and Crusher right away. And then Tasha Yar, I felt, even as a young person, was the absolute overcorrection of having like a woman who is like embodying a lot of like super like badass but really masculine traits like she's a security chief she's a fighter she's all of these things but there were a lot of secondary characters that I thought really brought some in interesting depth like Sila like we're starting to see different kinds of women that aren't that are kind of like breaking away like Ro. Yeah, Roe is a great example of that. And then you're, and then you see more of like the female leaders of planets. Um, but um, the I can't remember her name. <clears throat> the Tal Shiar commander. Oh, uh, Toreth in Toreth, uh, Face yeah. of the Enemy. She's the one with the wire where Troy gets changed into a Romulan. Yeah. 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 So like when we started to see those kinds of characters of women who were like like military leaders but they had like some interesting depth to them like she was obviously like a like a thinking woman's military commander mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed so like yes there is that criticism of TNG about the nurturing roles but I do think we did see quite a few examples mm -hmm. of people who had a little bit more to them than just those archetypes well I kind of think that um, for Next Generation, it, it bothers me now that I had pictures of that series in my locker because the female characters were so underdeveloped. Like like Deanna Troy, essentially a potted plant on the deck for most of the series, right? With, um, That's Marina Sirtis' own words that until exactly, she got the uniform, exactly. that no one thought she was smart and didn't write the character Absolutely. that she was smart. Absolutely. And, and also, too, the way that they wrote her, her Beta Z empath empath empathy powers were like you know, as reliable as, you know, spotty Wi-Fi, you know? So she I was, was always in tears. Like, yeah, it's like, she couldn't see something coming. Um, but so it's just frustrating that these are what, you know, I held up and I posted in my locker and I thought, this is fantastic, this is pioneering. Because I think what's really cool about the, the changes in these characters, again, with the layers, but I, I love the fact that they're complex, that these aren't people with, um, you know, like in the old westerns, with the white hats or the black hats. They're complex. You can sympathize with them. You can understand their struggles or what they're fighting for. Um, and it's difficult to put them in a box. And I, I like the fact that I can't, uh, I can't categorize these, these characters. But I also like, can, like, is it okay if I like make a reference to the yeah. card right now? <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. So um, uh, there may be some spoilers in this. We're gonna try to not. We're gonna try to be vague about spe especially Strange New Worlds because it's still like just finished. Um, but so yeah, we'll try and it's, keep it's vague on the spoilers. About, like, because you would. I just wanted to pick up on something that you said about how yes, like in the eighties and nineties, women were written a certain way. But I found that now in like you know 2021, 2022, like Troy in particular mm. has been like there's been like like you're you're seeing more of her actual personality and her pushing back mm. 
on Picard as like this character that's always been deified in the Trek universe. And I really appreciated that they took the care to go back and mm-hmm. correct the plotted plantness. Yeah, yes. yeah. I totally. Yeah. I, I did want to come back though to I, what I think is the problem is not the fact that women were in these roles. I think the part problem is that the creators of the series didn't think that those roles were important because they're feminized roles. And so the, especially with Troy, Crusher less so. Um, and I think Crusher plays a super critical role on TNG as like the captain's conscience, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, she does get some occasional episodes where she gets to science the crap out of things. <laughs> um, but Troy, um, you'll f- like find all these interviews with writers who were like, why do we even have a counselor? Like this is some new AGBS kind of stuff. And um, I think that that's another thing that we see in newer Trek is idea that like actually it makes total sense that you would have a mental health professional on this ship and if they had actually taken that seriously um, and I think part of it was also that we were in a transition from Star Trek thinking that in the future people will not have these problems to now where it's kind of saying that we're going to have more constructive ways of dealing with them and more support from our system for dealing with them versus the idea that we'll just have cured them well, I think even um, like characters like Beverly Crusher, who um, single mom, we barely got to see her parenting mm-hmm. um, and everything. Uh, just in reading some of, or listening to some of the interviews, um, talking about how they decided to to frame the roles of the father figures as more important than her own kids' relationship with her. It was really gross, and I can't imagine what it was like to be an actress working in that environment where um, you, you know she's probably seen it in her life in her non-acting life and not able to translate that to how her character navigates the role. Yeah, we saw Troy parenting Alexander yep. more than we saw Crusher parenting Wesley. Yeah, <laughs> certainly more than we saw Worf parenting Alexander but yeah, um, yeah that, I think those are really good points um, so I, I want to move on to talking about uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Strange New Worlds and the original series and how we're seeing some of these characters come back again we're going to try and avoid spoilers um, but hopefully you know these these characters are in the series um and uh what i want to ask about is um how you've seen or how you feel about the way that strange new worlds is bringing back these iconic characters for a modern audience anyone oh i guess i can go (laughs) Um, and i'll also just mention too um that i'm gonna ask folks to start uh, thinking about a few questions um, and after this I'll ask for start asking for audience questions um, if you have a question the um, I do have a limited stack of I have some posters so there's strange new worlds posters there's also discovery and prodigy posters down on the corner of the stage and there's some stickers and business cards on the top of the table people who ask questions can come get them first and everyone else can come at the end of the thing because we're gonna run out um, But uh, yeah, so that's your incentive. So um, anyway, I wanted to talk about Nurse Chapel because I think that in watching Strange New Worlds, how many hands up, how many people are watching Strange New Worlds? Okay, cool. Um, Hopefully we'll like sell the rest of you. Um, (laughs) When we were as women at Warp getting ready for the show, so stoked about Uhura, like absolutely over the moon about number one. But I think what shocked us was how much we were uh, like, 
impressed impressed by the reimagining of Nurse Chapel. Um, Majel Barrett, who played Nurse Chapel, said she didn't really like the character. She thought she was sad. Um, all we see her do pretty much is kind of like, yes, doctor, and then being sad that Spock doesn't love her. Um, <laughs> and uh, like even the character named Christine Chapel, um, Jean Roddenberry wrote as a play on the Sistine Chapel because she's supposed to be like a saint. <laughs> um, so again, goes to show like the evolution. And in her first episode, she's already like so much more badass. She's doing like genetic ma manipulation to make disguises for people. And then we do start to see some of the emotional underpinnings of why she would have a crush on Spock, um, but in a way that doesn't feel like demeaning to the character. It feels like it, this makes sense. This is relatable as a human um, instead of just like, geez, girl, get over him. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the one I wanted to highlight. Well, just to build on what you were saying about Nurse Chapel, um, and this is something that you're really seeing in all television writing in the last, like, say, like five or ten years. One of the things that I like about Nurse Chapel in Strange New Worlds is that we don't have the pining, which is great. Yeah. Um, but we also have like there's references to her complicated, like, casual relationships mm -hmm. with men that I really appreciate it because that's real. And women, they mentioned yeah. as well. Yeah, I love that, that she um, she's having these experiences, she's being very open about it, and they're talking about that kind of relating between people that hasn't really been touched on in any of the other Star Trek series. So, And of course, like the science stuff really like drove me wild. But the, um, I guess like, I think like we should both talk about number one. Sure. On that, because like number one, I w I really loved her in in Disco, but once you get into Strange New Worlds, they gave her layers, they mm. gave her depth, and um, I was worried that we were that she was going to become Tasha Yarified, mm. where it was just going to be oh she's just like really hard, really competent, just totally focused, but they gave her so many different layers, and she adjusts who she is depending on who she's talking to in the crew. You see a really specific leadership style that uh, is like amazingly adaptable. And like, I just, I just can't get enough of Strange New World, honestly. Yeah. And not just the women characters, but everybody. Because they're portraying them as real people. Like if I would be in a similar situation with dating or having like problems with my coworkers, like I'd be reacting the same way. Like there's a real humanity to mm -hmm. number one that I didn't think we were going to see when we first saw her in disco. Yeah, I think that it's what it's hitting the sweet spot on is that these are characters that feel like really human, like humans but they're also still characters we can aspire to. So I think that there was this idea that if we make these characters have flaws, that like, oh, well, this isn't Star Trek anymore because Star Trek, you're supposed to have a better future and better humans that like have surpassed things. But I feel like, at least for me, in the times that we're in, I need to see a little bit more of like the transitional period about how we get there. Because um, otherwise it starts to feel like, I don't even know that I can envision, believe that we're gonna get there. So I feel like what we're hitting is this point where you can see that that people have these traits that we might consider flaws or weaknesses. Um, I don't think they're usually that. Um, and that it still is 
but like the way that they approach them is what makes them aspirational. The way that they work together, they respect each other, that they're open to differences. Um, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, Strange New Worlds is easily my favorite franchise so far. I'm uh, newer to it than the other ones, but it's like they've applied everything they've learned from every single uh, series that have, has come before, and they're learning from it. It also is telling me that there's different people in the writing rooms, because I don't think you get those characters and that depth by accident. I, I love the fact that, um, just even seeing the interplay of the characters, um, there was one episode, without giving spoilers, where you have uh, an interaction with Chapel and Uhura in getting something done. But then seeing how uh, realistically they're written and prescribed, like you've got this crisis moment, Chapel has to spring into action and do something, and she's like, oh yeah, let's get it done. Like she's just like this enthusiasm, and as opposed to, oh no, doctor, whatever shall I do? <laughs> so Spock threw soup at me. <laughs> but it's it's just real, and I thought I want to see what where these characters go, wherever they, um, whatever choices they make. I'm 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 invested. But it's telling me that this is in the same writing room as I uh, enjoyed when I was watching uh, Next Generation. Um, and it doesn't feel like a theater play either. Um, I know that I was part of the camp that was reluctant when Discovery came up and they were saying, oh, we want to make an edgier enterprise. And I thought, oh, great, Tar Tarantino in space. But, um, you know, but it's not that. It's just it's real. It, it feels like um, an experience rather than a theatrical structure where it's, everything is proper and has its place. Um, but so it's more enjoyable for me to watch. Yeah. And um, I also do want to just quickly mention Dupring, because, again, another character shocked by how much I like mm -hmm. Dupring in Strange New Worlds. In the original series, she's there blinking her, and you'll miss her. And she's the woman that's burned Spock. I don't think that's a spoiler because it was 50 years ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, you are not meant to like her. Um, and... Uh, you know, now you see again, like how she can get to this point and how it would make total sense. And you're totally sympathizing with her um, and also seeing his side of things and um, also hilarious. Um, so I just think, um, and it's also just great to see more South Asian actors on track. It's a, one of the uh, continually underrepresented areas, um, as well as uh, we didn't mention like some of the original characters like Ortegas um, that um, having uh, Latinx representation. Um, so yeah, I, we could gush more about that, but we have other series too that we also love. Um, okay, so does anyone at this point have a question? Okay, I saw your hand first, sir, in the front in, with the blue mask. Um, we've all uh, been discussing the live action uh, version, but uh, what do you think of the uh, various uh, <coughs> characters uh, in uh, Star Trek and like the, their depictions? Awesome. Okay, well, um, I know Andrea probably has some Lower Decks thoughts. Uh, and do you want to talk about Lower Decks a bit? And I can talk about oh Prodigy. Oh, I love Lower Decks. <laughs> yeah. So um, when I came into Star Trek, Star Trek was all about, you know, solving extremely complex problems perfectly and diplomatically in 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, everybody got along and there was no mess. But there was also not a lot of humor. And um, Lower Decks is hysterical. Like, if you, if you haven't watched it, um, I need you to uh, separate yourself from this assumption that you're going to get TNG Star Trek. Because <laughs> you're really not. Um, but it is silly and it's joyful, but it also has a surprising amount of heart. 
Like, you will feel the entire spectrum of human emotion <laughs> watching this silly animated Star Trek show. But, uh, like, in terms of characters, like, I, I, like Mariner is probably my favorite, um, mostly because you see so much beautiful depth to her. And uh, one of the things that I like about all of the new series, and we've all touched on this in some way, is how messy it is. So I'm, I'm thinking of like Marie Kondo. Has everybody, anybody watched Marie Kondo? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I love mess. And I love mess. Uh, that's what I like about the new Star Trek series. And Lower Decks is messy. <laughs> and it also rewards people who have been watching Trek for a long time with hilarious inside jokes. So many. Um, but like, you can go yeah. in totally uninitiated. Yeah. My um, my favorite uh, is uh, Dr. Ta'ana. Um, I mean, I'm a cat fan, but also she's supposed to be kind of a spoof on Dr. Pulaski. Um, and I also think Dr. Pulaski is, I don't agree with how she treated Data, but I think she's a character that could, like, had a lot of potential that wasn't totally explored. Um, and so then we get, like, the grumpy cat cartoon version of her um and uh i would say if you're gonna like if you're like i don't know that i'm gonna like this that's fine again like i said you don't have to like all the things but um if you want to try one episode i reckon uh, recommend i excretus um where they have to do kind of a bunch of simulations in the holodeck to pass a test and they're all references to previous star trek episodes um so i won't give them all away but like you know like a fistful of data's wild west situation and stuff um so if you're you're looking to get a sense of how much the folks behind this show love this show or love all the other Star Treks, um, then that's the one to watch, I think. Um, I'm also really enjoying Prodigy. I think they're, uh, it's challenging when you only have half a season and like coming out in quarters of a season. Um, and I think at first, a lot of folks, including a couple of us, felt like it felt a bit like Star Wars Rebels, which I'm a fan of, but it just felt like maybe not quite the right thing for Star Trek. Um, and, uh, but like by third episode, I'm fully invested in this. I watched it with a friend who's a nine-year-old girl and uh, she also by like three episodes in was super into them exploring planets, trying to like, wants to learn more about what the Federation is. Um, we have a really diverse range of characters. Um, they're all aliens. So there's, um, they're having to, you know, a deal with assumptions about each other and um, in a way that's a little bit different from uh, like the 90s model of having just like one kid of every ethnic stereotype. Um, but, um, and it also brings back Janeway. So I'm a, I'm a fan, yeah. Um, also, if you want to come up and grab posters and stickers, go for it. Um, yes, okay, so um, I will take another question in a second, uh, but I do want to give Andrea a chance to also talk about villains so uh and we may also discuss some villains so when we go back over 50 years of star trek we can also see shifts in the representation of women as villains there are plenty of examples in trek history of stereotypical women villains like the seductive vamp or black widow character ensnaring hapless men think like nona in a private little war on the right uh or the woman who gives riker the game uh, and uh, then into Deep Space Nine, where we have two really significant women villains, Kai Wynn and the female shapeshifter. Um, and then in the new era of Trek, we have 
really complex villains or more accurately antagonists like Emperor Giorgio in Discovery and the reimagined Borg Queen in Star Trek Picard. So I wanted to ask uh, if you have a favorite woman villain you would like to highlight from any era of Star Trek. Oh, yes. <laughs> Her most imperial majesty, <laughs> mother of the fatherland, overlord of Vulcan, Dominus of Kronos, Regina Andor, Philippa Giorgio, Augustus, Eoponius, Centaurus. <laughs> I love this woman. So I love her because she is drama. And I, I also really love that she um, took on the masculine title and referred to herself as emperor as this kind of like middle finger to the patriarchy. Um, but she's not just like a leader, she's ruthless and smart. And I like how incredibly self-serving she is at the beginning and how um, in her leadership style, like she, uh, she has absolutely no tolerance for anything except excellence and absolute loyalty which are qualities that have been traditionally celebrated in men, but definitely not something that we've seen a woman do. Um, so for, for her as being the first female leader of the Terran Empire, like there's, there's something awesome about like a marginalized woman taking on that role. And I, uh, I would aspirationally see myself in her. I don't think I'm quite that awesome. <laughs> but um, the fact that she was the first and she pulled herself up from absolutely nothing, like she came from nothing. And she had to build herself as this like military mastermind. And um, there's, there's so many interesting storytelling things that the writers have chosen to do with Giorgio that I really appreciate. Um, they were not afraid to talk about her sexuality and how that's part of her power. And I really enjoy how they, they put that into the story, like without getting like in, into very much detail. The fact that she has certain inclinations becomes a plot point in a couple of the episodes and it becomes part of how she survives. It, it becomes part of how she can withstand pain and that she can uh, not only um, like get through like really tough like fighting situations like when she was uh, fighting with Leland and uh, dealing with that whole like section 31 nonsense but that she also balanced being this incredible leader with her own pleasure so she's on a planet doing a mission trying to blow up the world, and she takes some time to have some fun on the side. And I appreciate that, <laughs> because it's real. It is a real thing, like she, and so we have her as this ruthless negotiator, this, this totally capable leader, but as she hangs out with the Discovery crew in the Prime Universe for longer, we see this kind of like, that this, this, these new layers of who she is. I wouldn't say that she t did a 180 as a character, but she developed some, some emotional competencies that she may not have had in the Terran universe. Um, but that also was a beautiful example of how any one of us in this room 
if you put us in those kinds of circumstances, like being a citizen of the Terran Empire, you're gonna do some wild stuff to survive. And then when you're put back in, like the Prime Universe, for example, where you don't have to think about constant survival and constant political machinations in the same way, that you can focus on other things. And that you can focus on relationships with people. And like in her own way, she demonstrated her care for some of the characters on the on the Discovery crew. So that's um like I I love her. And if I had any of the uh the requisite uh, skills required to do cosplay, I would 100% be all about this drama, <laughs> all about it. But no, she is she is my favorite of all of the uh, of all of the characters, like heroes or villains, in Star Trek. So I'm so happy I got to gush about her to you. Uh, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so there. Um, she's the first woman emperor of the Terran Empire, but we did have Empress. Hoshi. Um, I don't know if you had anything you want to add on Empress Hoshi. Oh, well, I, I think I could uh, tie in. You can kind of see the progression mm -hmm. by the time it get, got to uh, Emperor Giorgio, where um, there's a lot of um, balance, work-life balance, if you will, um, <laughs> because it, they were one and the same. And Hoshi, Empress Hoshi, was all about survival. And she leveraged her sexuality as well to, to be able to do that and to buy some measure of security. And um, because, again, the Terran universe was so brutal, she used whatever tools were at her disposal. Um, so, again, the, a great example of a layered character working in a context uh, that made sense. So every decision, um, well, most decisions were, were logical, right, in, the, in, in what she was operating with, in the environment she was operating with. Um, so, uh, so basically she, um, I, I think just through her lineage, you can tell how those values were passed on uh, through her clones and through um, her descendants as they got to uh, Emperor Giorgio. Emperor Giorgio. <laughs> cool. Empress. <laughs> All right. I saw your question, and I also saw a question all there in the front row, and then I'll I'll take some more questions, but go. I'll let you go first. Uh, a friend of mine. Uh, we always discuss TV shows as having like uh, character trees. Would you say that Laon is on the branch of Tasha Yar? Hmm. Hmm. I would say yes because when I saw how emotionally unavailable she was, I immediately, it, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't articulate that in the discussion beforehand, but yeah, because it felt like I'd seen her before. And I think that's why, because she's, unemo she's emotionally unavailable. She has no interest in talking to say a counselor type to change that. She's, um, and she's developed that way as a protective reaction to how she grew up in her formative years. And I, I've, I'm new to Strange New Worlds. I'm still working my way through it, but her character impressed itself on me because I just thought that's interesting and where is she gonna go? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but yeah, it, maybe this is how they build on Tasha Yar, so that they give her capability and they give her something to do. So Yar was underused for the time that she was there, but Laan is definitely like from the first episode when she found uh, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but she found a way into something. Um, I just thought that was super quick, and that makes a whole bunch of sense and. Yeah, I like her. 
So yeah, excellent question. And yeah, they both have that background of trauma. So that's a really interesting point. Um, and uh, your question in the front row in the white shirt. Uh, yeah, so if anyone couldn't hear the question, it was a, uh, or a comment, it was about uh, the episode where, um, what are little girls made of, where uh, Chapel meets her long lost uh, fiance, Roger Corby. Um, and uh, they have said that he's, we will find out about him or he will show up next season. So it's, I think we're supposed to say, think they're not engaged yet in the, in Strange New Worlds. Um, but I think that that's a really good point that that, plays into some of her dynamics, regardless of where in, in the storyline exactly it is. Um, yeah, because you can see how that would definitely be baggage you would carry into future relationships. Um, other questions? Okay, yes, hello. Hi, so I recently just did The Next Generation followed by Deep Space Nine in a binge, and I came away with The, uh, the Next Generation feeling like the female characters were a little bit shallow, and then went right into Deep Space Nine and felt the commander here in your really was one of the, because I've done the original series when I was a child, was really, really complex and had this backstory and this growth and I just wonder if you could speak about Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yes, we will not be able to mention all women characters in Star Trek. So please do mention yours in your questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kira is, is my fave character now. Um, I, I don't think I appreciated her as much growing up, but um, because I didn't get the like, you know the valid anger thing but she does give you permission to be angry and in her case it's because she survived a genocide basically and um she and you get to see her um grow and her as one of our first main characters who has a spirituality or a religion um that's really important to her i think it's a really interesting dynamic that they explored um and her basically coming to terms with and figuring out how to live um in a more grounded way and deal with conflict in different ways over the course of, of seven years, I think is super powerful. Um, so I do want to show you um, a couple more slides and uh, we'll take any last questions at the end. Um, but just because the point was raised about um, the writer's room and like what do what the people behind the scenes look like now compared to original Star Trek, which is again, like, there, every generation has done stuff that's groundbreaking. So we're not trying to like go back and say like we need to apply the same standards in the 60s as we're applying now, but we need to be conscious that there's different contexts of production that are resulting in different outcomes. So um, if anyone's familiar with the Bechdel-Wallace test, which is uh, showing uh, two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. Uh, and uh, I ran the test on all of Star Trek, um, all the episodes. Um, and uh, you can see that Voyager did pretty well. It was around 85% of episodes that passed. Um, but uh, Discovery and Picard both beat it. And Strange New Worlds is very, very close. We only have 10 episodes of Strange New Worlds, so it's uh, not a big sample size. Um, so some significant... Uh, difference there. Um, I've also done some stats on the writers, but it's a little bit more complicated. So I'm I'm not going to cover those in detail, but I will say that there's been a significant shift in the number of women getting writing credits um, in since Discovery. 
and uh, in directors, Enterprise, this is Enterprise. So Enterprise was the best by far of the series pre-Discovery in terms of directors. Um, all the other series had less than 5% of episodes directed by women, um, even Voyager. So, uh, and Enterprise had 10.3%. They were all Roxanne Dawson. Um, go Roxanne Dawson. And then um, new Star Trek, we have 34.1%. So, um, you know, it's not parody, but it's a significant improvement. And there's still like a long way to go in Hollywood in general. Um, so I feel like that's kind of cool. Um, so um, any more questions? We have just like five, six minutes left. Okay, in the front. Um, I just wanted to ask what your thoughts were on some of the characters from Discovery, like Michael Burnham or anything else. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk more about Discovery. People who have asked questions, make sure that you come up and get your posters and stuff. Um, so... Um, I mean, I'm sure all of us have thoughts. Does anyone want to jump in? Oh, on that? my goodness. Um, speaking about evolution of black women in space, <laughs> I love Michael Burnham. And some of the commentary about uh, her being too emotional, um, yeah, just, I think it's, I, I don't put a lot of emphasis in, in that because I love the complex characters. I love stories, I love writing stories, I love telling stories. And having a character that um, uh, has dimension and, and you can see just a whole bunch of different perspectives from them. Someone who survived trauma, for example, in her own original story, I love the evolution of that character and what they're doing with it. Um, and, um, and, and one of many characters that they are giving, um, they're treating respectfully on the screen. And it makes a big difference to our experience as viewers. I think that um, uh, a character that I didn't really, I didn't really, it's not that I didn't identify with her, but I didn't really care about Tilly in the beginning. Oh, but no. Now I do. Now I do. <laughs> now I do. Because she is one of the most relatable mm -hmm. on the whole show. And I love that um, the newer series like Discovery and, uh, and Strange New Worlds are a lot better about talking about mental health. Yeah. And they're a lot better about talking about how, like in, in really specific detail, how our formative experiences shape who we are as adults and how that has an impact on us in the professional world. Um, so like Tilly's dynamic with her mother and how they talk about that. Like how many people here can relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like I, I really enjoyed her uh, but at the beginning, I was just like, I was all about Michael. I was, yeah. all, I was very like, okay, I don't really only care about Michael Burnham's story here. But then <laughs> Tilly really grew on me because she is everybody. Yeah. I mean, she's also curvy. And uh, Star Trek has not had a great uh, history of body diversity. Um, one of the things I think would be a next frontier. Um, and uh, I hope that Tilly comes back in a spinoff. Um, I also am so thrilled to have trans and non-binary uh, non characters in Discovery. Uh, I think it's super, super important. Um, but yes, we are we are rapidly running out of time. I'll take one more question from the, the plaid shirt in the back. Hello. So, I mean, the things that are happening with our neighbors in the South, it kind of feels like we're in a mirror universe for, for, for women and people of marginalized gender identities. Uh, what do you think the role of Star Trek can be in helping us get through slash past the, the current that is such a good question. I think a great way to wrap up um, is that um, I think that there's kind of two pieces. Um, first of all, uh, is is just if you can't imagine things getting better, then it it makes it impossible to act. 
Um, so Star Trek gives us a vision of things getting better and also just like gives us some time for self-care where you don't necessarily have to read the news, but you can still be in touch with the thematic things that are happening in the world. Um, and that kind of empowers you to act. Um, and because the vision it's presenting is one where people have those rights and that people are um, sharing with each other and respecting each other and largely going out there with curiosity and respect instead of hostility and fear, um, that uh, that's, in my opinion, one of the most important roles. Does anyone else have any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think that um, stories just from the beginning of time have been an excellent way for people to understand mm -hmm. other experiences. And oftentimes with complex subjects that are difficult, it is a very strategic and stealth way to get messages through to people. So I think that these portrayals, regardless of what trolls happen to say online, is a great way to sort of um, you know, just uh, honey with the medicine, that idea. You, 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 uh, you give something that's complex in a way that's palatable, it's digested more easily, and maybe that leads to change. It also gives forums for, oh, sorry to interrupt. It gives forums for folks like us to all discuss it with each mm -hmm. other and to build connections where we can talk about how we apply these things in our own world. Art is political. It always has been since the dawn of time. Like this is, art is a safe space to unpack uncomfortable and complex things. And even like we can rail on TNG in the original series, TNG in particular, for its ham-handed way of dealing with difficult topics at the time, but it was a safe space to talk about it. And it made, it, it took really complex notions that were foreign to a lot of folks in those days, and it presented them, like Jara said, in a way that is thought-provoking. But I think that it's not just, it's not just um, Trek. There's all kinds of fandoms that are being used right now to talk about very specific things, to talk about specific injustices, to talk about social issues in a way that is gonna resonate with people. So yeah, there's some heinous stuff happening all around the world right now. And we see all of that represented in the art that we're consuming. And I think that, uh, like Jared said, we're seeing things, we're given space to enjoy incredible media but also to think about these really tough issues and then to think about, okay, this is how these characters dealt with this. How is it that I can deal with this in my own spheres of influence? So art is always political. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we are out of time, but uh, all of our social coordinates are up there on the screen. Uh, please check us out, get in touch. Also, if you have more questions, uh, we'll go outside the room so the next panel can set up, but we can meet out in the hall and chat with you. Please come up and grab posters and stickers and business cards. And uh, thank you again so, so much for coming. And that's our panel. If you'd like to find the other panelists on social media, you can find Dawn at D Zanklin Comedy. That's D X A N K L I N Comedy. And Andrea's at Cats California. That's K A T Z E H A L I F O R N I A. And I'm around at Jara Penguin, that's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin, and on my blog, Trekkie Feminist, where I just posted the Bechdel-Wallace test results that I talked about in the panel. 
To get in touch with Women at Warp, you can find us on socials at Women at Warp and on our website, womenatwarp.com. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thank <laughs> you.